Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit where we take a look at the issues of the day both in and outside of the church via teachings and interviews. Our goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and change on the part of the listener. Our desire is that we, those who have an ear to hear, will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. back to another edition of the Sword and the Spirit. Happy New Year to one and all. <clears throat> Today, we're going to take a little look at the Beatitudes, the attitudes that ought to be. I remember my first year in Bible college, I heard a gentleman by the name of Elmer Murdoch uh, go through the Beatitudes, and I never forgot him. So a lot of what you hear me saying will be his influence with some things that I've learned over the years on my own. Um, but I want to give credit where credit is due. In fact, I had a, a conversation with him a number of years ago before you had passed. I had contacted him because his uh, he, had, he has a good thing set up at his church called the Great Go Mission. And I wanted to get a hold of some of that because I was planning on doing some mission trips myself and things that we could use with our team, just trying to get some ideas. So I contacted him, I reminded him of the uh, of that conference at Bethany, and he was he responded to me by saying, wow, what a, what a memory. But you know, uh, it's good for people to know that when they preach messages, people actually remember what was said and were impacted by it. And it definitely had an uh, impact on me at the time I was 17. So I'm 63 now, so you know that was years ago. But, uh, but I still remember quite well. Uh, what he said and what he shared that that particular day. The reason why I'm doing this today, because <clears throat> I'm fighting off a little head cold here, and the reason why I'm doing this today is because of um, one of the things that always baffled me in the church is people always talking about being blessed. They want to be blessed. They're blessed and highly favored. 
And I say to myself, what does that even mean? You know, um, to be blessed and highly favored. <clears throat> so I did a little research on being blessed and highly favored. And blessed can also mean happy. I kind of stay away from the, the term happy because happy is based on your certain conditions. Um, uh, when things are right, we're happy. You know, whoever won that billion dollars in Maine, I'm pretty sure they're happy, right? So their circumstances just and their life just changed radically, hopefully for the better, because sometimes <clears throat> things get worse in some ways, but hopefully for the better, and hopefully they'll live the, a very nice and, and blessed life. And uh, like I, and even now, I'm saying, God bless them. <clears throat> Wish them nothing but joy and happiness. Having said that, you know, um, those are the terms that we tend to think in terms of blessing. But what I have discovered is that we can't take our definitions for anything from the world per se. Because what we consider to be blessed, God may consider it to be cursed. What we consider it to be a curse, God may consider it to be a blessing. In other words, God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. God has a whole dictionary that's different than ours. And so we can't in totality use Webster's Dictionary for every single thing. As good as it is, it has its place and sometimes it helps give some clarity to certain things. But when you look at things in the context of Scripture or the Bible, uh, God has a whole different dynamic going on. And so a lot of times people, when I ask people in church services that were they blessed, it's either they ran around the, the church a couple times, they felt something that made them happy or something happy, something happened that made them happy, and they ran around the church in, in exuberance. I'm not saying I'm opposed to any of this, so please don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. But, <clears throat> let me see, if you say, but that negates everything you just said, no it doesn't. Uh, but it's a coordinating conjunction, connects two equal parts. So the one part, the other side of that but is just as equal as the other part. It doesn't negate it. It just means it's equally as true at the same time. Because one of the things that you have to have in life is balance. And so that but brings what I just said into balance from the other side. We're just balancing things out. Nobody's negating anything. H having said that, um, and that's the idea of blessing, or I shouted. But blessing is usually affiliated with some type of high, strong emotional feeling and ex exuberance and expression, and and then they say they were blessed. But then uh, my question comes, so what happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? What happens in between? Because you can't run around screaming all day. So... I, I find it difficult to believe that God just gives you a blessing for a couple hours on a Sunday morning, and then that's it until next week. Because if that's true, the church is nothing more than a methadone clinic. And you come and get your meth, and you're good to go for a couple hours, maybe a day or two. Next week, we'll see you again. You know, the clinic will be open. Come get your hit. That's not the church. And I'm pretty sure that's not what God imagined the church to be like. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at this. And this is there are many verses in the scripture that talk about being blessed. Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and in his law does he meditate both day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, etc. and so on. So there are many other scriptures that talk about being blessed. So if we talk about being blessed, I can go through the whole Bible and in just about every book, almost every other chapter, the word blessed somehow pops up. So <clears throat> this is not exhaustive. I'm not exhausting everything there is on blessing. But I want to look at some of the areas in which we, we, we can be blessed. And sometimes we don't see it as a blessing. Sometimes, not always. But if you want to be blessed or, or if you want to understand how God blesses people and whom God blesses, then we need to look at the scriptures to get some clues to make sure that we become those people whom God blesses. And so that's very important for us to look at. Now, we just read here in the Beatitudes. Let's go here, and we're just going to go through these particular the Beatitudes, and it's going to tell us a little bit about being blessed. And that's what we're going to do today. So, uh, and I love this. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. He went to the Mount of Olives, and he began to preach and to teach and began to open up the scriptures. And he starts off with a nice thing of uh, explaining to people how they can be blessed or who is blessed. In this case, who is blessed? Who are the people who are blessed by God, who, who receive not the liver shipper, not the, 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 uh, not, not the feeling, but you can be happy or you can be extremely fortunate. It's another word I think the, the Webster's Dictionary talks about. Extremely fortunate. It was also in the Strong's Concordance. I looked it up, the Greek. And it means to be, when it uses blessed Jesus, he extremely fortunate. Count yourself extremely fortunate. <clears throat> if you're poor in spirit, how about that? How about that? To be poor in spirit. That's be that's a good thing. If you look in Isaiah sixty six, <clears throat> in in verse in Isaiah chapter sixty six, probably around verse five or so, he says this. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles of my, at my word. To be poor in spirit means to be spiritually bankrupt, to acknowledge our spiritual bankruptness before God. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that you bid me come to the old Lamb of God, I come. To be poor in spirit is to, is to admit our spiritual bankruptcy without God. Disconnected from God, we are spiritually bankrupt. In Christ, we're spiritually rich. But without Christ, we're spiritually bankrupt. So once we acknowledge our spiritual bankruptness, our brokenness before God, I think in Isaiah 61 the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the brokenhearted. That's to be poor in spirit, to be brokenhearted, to be contrite of spirit and humble, 
before God. It's, it's like the sinner, the guy who went before God and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The first thing we have to recognize is that inherently within us, there is nothing good. There is nothing wonderful about us. There's nothing great about us. You take Christ out of the equation, there's nothing fascinating about Donald Reimer. Literally nothing. I have no inherent goodness or inherent ability, no giftedness, no nothing that would qualify me to be redeemed by God. I know that flies in the face of the self-esteem thinking because today everything's about self-esteem. God understands you're wonderful, you're this, you're that, you're the other. Um, let me put it to you this way. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There was a song out, a gospel song, and I guess I kind of kind of understand. I don't want to be too hard on the on the on the songwriter. Uh, I guess in his own way, he was trying to say or do something positively. I guess. Uh. But the song goes like this. Uh, the chorus is something similar. You know, he saw the best in me. God saw something, but no one else could. No one else saw what was, you know, how any talent. Nobody else believed in me. It's pretty comes out, comes right down to nobody else believed in me. Nobody thought I could be anything of any consequence. I was, you know, you're from nothing, born from nothing. You ain't gonna be nothing. That type of thing. And so when nobody else saw any value in me whatsoever, God saw value in me and he redeemed me. Let me put it to you this way. So let me explain to you what that means because that's kind of a double-edged sword. And I don't want to be too hard on the, on the songwriter because, again, I, I kind of understand what he's saying. And I guess he's, I, I'm going to assume he's referring. Maybe he wasn't, but I'm going to assume for the sake of not being so harsh, um, that he was referring to the Imago Dei, the image of God. Everybody, and, and that's everybody. Anybody that's ever been born on this planet, if you're human, you, you bear the Imago Dei. You have the image of God. It's there. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, you have the Imago Dei. Now, having said that, with the having the fact that we have the Imago Day, God come to redeem us because, in that sense, yes, there is something that is inherent in us in the sense that that's worth redeeming, which is the Imago Day, redeeming the image of God. And if you look at it from that perspective, you can say, yeah, I, I can see why God would come in and redeem us, uh, because of the Imago Day. And then for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So in that respect, but wait a minute, oh, back up. <clears throat> the Imago Day has been damaged because of sin. And we've made a mockery of the Imago Day, the image of God. We've taken what God has, has made us like in his likeness, and we've just wrecked it. We've just done some real dumb, foolish things. 
and even the most, and everybody's guilty of this, everybody. Doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, you have humble beginnings or non-humble beginnings, whatever. It doesn't matter. Everybody is guilty before God of taking the Imago Day and running it through the dirt and the mud, the muck and the mire. And so based on that, what we all deserve is eternal damnation. That's what we all deserve because we just took something that was gifted to us and we just wrecked it. Hence, we all deserve damnation. And that's where the song goes south. That somehow, that there was some inherent goodness that qualified me to be redeemed. No, there was nothing in us that qualified us to be redeemed. There's nothing in us. The Bible says all have all we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah, <coughs> Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. We've gone to do out to do our own thing. We've gone our own way. Uh, again in the Psalms, and it appears again, in, I believe in Romans chapter 3. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There is none that seeks after God. Yeah, there's nothing in us. The Apostle Paul wrote, in my flesh. He said, in me, in me, in me, there dwells no good thing. Yeah. When <clears throat> Job, who God, God himself declared was a righteous man. And that's by human standards, because how do you know? Well, because when Job saw God, and God came to him and, and, you know, pretty much set him straight on a couple of points. Job said this. I have heard about you with the hearing of my ears. But now that my eyes see you, I abhor myself. And I, repent, I repent in dust and ashes. Job said, listen, uh, <clears throat> once I saw my holiness and my every, all the goodness that I had, and I put it up against the holiness of God who I'd just seen, he says, I hate myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Man, I am wicked. Not even close to the holiness of God. Move a little further through the Bible. Isaiah, the sixth chapter. The year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord seated upon a throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And once he saw God high and lifted up, he said this, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Read the first five chapters of Isaiah. He calls Jerusalem Sodom and Gomorrah. He just lets into the church, into the, the nation of Israel. Sorry, not the church. The church wasn't around yet. He just lit into Israel. He says, remove from me the noise of your songs. I will no longer smell of your solemn assemblies. And the issue was about justice, by the way, but that's another, <clears throat> that's another podcast coming up. We're going to deal with this. Uh, so-called Christian nationalism. 
But having said that, it's like Isaiah realized, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell, dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. He saw his own corruption, and it humbled him. When you put your holiness against God, so you got two people, Job, Isaiah, they went up against God's holiness, and they were nothing. And then from that point on, the sixth chapter on, Isaiah has been known as the fifth gospel because he starts to preach Christ in, on a level that <clears throat> you don't see so much in any of the other prophets talking about him. Particularly the most famous of all, that 53rd chapter. Uh, that, that's the one. Okay, so let's move fast forward a little bit more. Let's go down to Daniel. Man, if anybody was righteous, it was Daniel. I mean, he stuck to his guns. He, he was by the book Charlie. Did everything he was supposed to do. Uh, he, I think I, if I, I could make a case from Scripture that Daniel was probably like Paul, as touching the law perfect, probably did everything exactly the way he was supposed to be done. Okay. Well and good. So then, the next thing that happens, he sees God. He's, I believe about the ninth chapter. He gets a revelation of the Ancient of Days. And once he sees God, he says, all my comeliness, that is his holiness, his goodness, was turned to corruption. Daniel's righteousness, when he was put up against God's righteous holiness, was corruption. At best, the best that we have to offer, Paul or a Daniel and Isaiah, the best that humanity can put forth in holiness and living a life according to the law of strict adherence. is still corruption when it's put up against the holiness of God. Mine is blown. Think of your, your best corruption. Peter's out fishing. Jesus says, cast a nest on the other side. And then eventually they go out and they cast a nest on the other side. He gets this big drought of fish. Peter realizes he's in the presence of divinity. He jumps out the boat and the only... Stupid thing he can say is, please leave me, for I'm a sinful man. Yeah, he says, look, you can't be around me. I'm a sinful man. I got out of here, I cuss and, you know, swear and everything else. Uh, just just leave me. I, I'm, I'm so not qualified to have you, to even be in your presence. I'm not even qualified. I don't even talk, begin to talk about the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, they just bogged out. They didn't know what to do. They said something stupid, like, let's make three temples here. You know, and then uh, the father had to speak. That must have freaked them out even more. I think it was only Jesus that kept them from dying at that moment. Then the apostle John, who was the person who laid his head on the bosom of Jesus and heard the divine heartbeat at the Last Supper. <clears throat> In the book of Revelations, when he sees the glorified Christ, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is John the Apostle. First, second, and third John, Gospel of John. He falls at the feet of Jesus as though dead. It just about killed him. No, God did not see the best in you. God did not see there was something inherent in you that's going to make you better. No, he did not. There is, we are poor in spirit, and to be poor in spirit 
is to be humble and contrite and recognize there is really no logical reason why God should have came and got you in the first place. For by grace, you're blessed because God has favored you for no, for no apparent reason from where we're sitting. God just decided, I'm going to favor this person right here. Jacob, I have loved, Esau, I have hated. God says, I'm giving you favor. Unearned favor. No merit. There was nothing you could have done. There was no level of holiness you could have attained to. There's no amount of fasting. No amount of praying. None of those things would have made any difference. The only reason why you're saved it's not because you had talent and God somehow some deep secret talent within you and I needed to, he needed to go get it. Because guess what? God created people. So if God wanted somebody talented, he could touch you and make, God could touch an untalented person and make him talented just by a touch. So you don't have to have it. If, you, if he needs you to have it, he can give it to you. So he doesn't have to be there. No, saints. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I realize that Don Reimer is spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to offer Christ except my sin. That's all I got to offer him is my sin and corruption. That's all I bring to the table. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. The exaltation comes from God. But don't ever get it twisted that there's something inherent within you that somehow you did something and because you did this, therefore God responded with that. Hogwash. To be poor in spirit is to be genuinely blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's with, and that comes with promise. Blessed is the poor in spirit that comes with promise. You want to receive the kingdom, you want to be part of the kingdom of God? Become spiritually bankrupt. Humble yourself low before God. And don't exalt yourself ever again. Stop it. No. And exalt Christ alone. And yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, there's a kingdom principle you don't hear talked about much. Blessed are those who mourn. So you want to be blessed, be spiritually bankrupt, and then be, you want to be blessed? Blessed are those who mourn. What do you mean those who mourn? Well, <clears throat> certainly if you mourn, the Bible says you will be comforted. And we see that happening when people lose a loved one or whatever, and there's funerals, etc. And God, get, God can give comfort. But that clearly can't be what he's talking about. Then that would include everybody on the planet. But no, he's talking about a particular group of people here. Blessed are those who mourn. What are we mourning for? We mourn for our sins. Have, have you mourned over your sins? Have you had that type of sense of sins that you committed and you mourn over the effects and the impact of what your sin has caused? Not yourself. 
not other people, but mourning over your sins and its impact on how God felt about it, how it grieved God, it angered God, and pretty much put you on a hit list. Mourning for your sins. So what does that mean to mourn for your sins? If a person mourns for their sins, they feel sorry and they feel bad about the sins and how I've rebelled against God. Remember I said in Psalm 51, it talked about the repentance. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. <clears throat> we sin against people. We sin against ourselves. And that, you, you need to get forgiveness for that too. I, I get that. But the type, the context here so it indicates that you're mourning. But I want to talk about mourning over our how we've wronged God. How we've cheated God out of his rightful lordship. Jesus is Lord. We don't, I don't make Jesus Lord. He's, he's Lord. Whether I quote unquote make him Lord of my life or not, he is Lord. He's going to be Lord. He's Lord right now. <clears throat> Over people don't even know he's Lord, but he's Lord. Now, one day everybody will know it, but right now everybody don't know it, but he is Lord. Okay, so then if he is Lord, and he's quote-unquote not the Lord of my life, what I'm simply saying is that I've been living in rebellion. So I, I accepted his salvation, which makes no sense to me, but okay. You can call it Lordship Salvation, whatever you want to call it. Listen, I accepted him as, you know, his Savior. You know, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, he took away my sins. But I rejected him as Lord. Well, that's the sin in itself. So how can I say I repented of my sin and asked for forgiveness for my sin and by not accepting him as Lord? So it's like, okay, I repent of all the other sins, but this one particular sin I'm going to keep, you will not be Lord. I'll still run my life, which is what got you in the mess that you're in now, by the way, running your own life, doing things your way and not God's way. And now witness the result. Here you are. Okay, mourning for your sins. Do you feel sorry for your sins? You know, many people come to the altar and they express no sorrow. Now you say, but Brother Ryan, I thought justification by faith alone. Yes, it is. But here's my thing. And this is why people don't get saved because we don't understand how God saves people. It took me years to figure this out. Actually, uh, let me stop this. No, that's not true. Uh, I didn't figure it out. <laughs> God had to show it to me. Listen, saints. In the 16th chapter of John, it says, He, when the Holy Spirit comes, will convict, convince the world of three things. Of sin, that you're a sinner. Of righteousness, and righteousness comes only through faith in Christ. And of judgment, if you don't come God's way, you will be judged. Whenever, there's, whenever the Holy Ghost is in operation, the sinner will be convinced, convinced or convicted of those three things, which will produce godly sorrow. At that point, the person will experience godly sorrow and he will mourn for his sins. If those three things that I just, if the Holy Spirit has done those three things in, in the life of the hearer. 
This is why I don't care how many altar calls you give. I don't care how many people you drag to the altar. And how many words they repeat after you. If there's no Holy Ghost conviction on those three points. There will be no godly sorrow. And if there's no godly sorrow. There will be no mourning for the sins. If there's no mourning for the sins. There will be no salvation. That's my point. Hence. The vast majority of conversions are counterfeit. This is why you have street meetings. People come up and they say the quote-unquote sinner's prayer. But we never see them again. Let me state for the record. I'm going to say it here. you hear me say it many times. Most evangelism, you're just planting seeds. Very seldom will you see a massive harvest. Now, it, I'm not saying it cannot happen. It happened on the day of Pentecost. And I can, we're going to go into that. I'm going to explain to you why that happened on Pentecost. You don't see it so much out here anymore. Because those people were prepared. They were already prepared before they got there. Seeds had been planted. And it was time. You don't plant the seeds and then the thing just crop up, you get, just, just get a harvest. You got to plant the seed, sow that, and then water it and give it time to grow. Then at a certain time, point in time, you cast in the sickles and you reap the harvest. Okay. That's why it says, he that wins souls is wise. You got to learn how to plow the field, break up the fallow ground, drop the seed in. And, you know, you water it and you just let God do the work. Bam, seed germinates. Oh, look, salvation. Person saved. It takes time, people. And it's a full 100%. The beautiful thing is, I'm going to let you off the hook here a little bit. The beautiful thing is 100% of work of the Holy Spirit. Not my job. It's his. I just sow the seed and that's it. Stand back and let God handle the rest. One plants and one waters, and you water the seed by, by the power of the preached word. And then one day it comes to fruition. The new birth comes around. But you have a lot of people, even in ministry behind pulpits, who claim to be apostles and prophets. I would venture to say, some of them, not all, but some of them are not even saved. Okay. Yet they prophesy. They're apostles. Yet they pastor in churches. They ain't got a leak of salvation. All right, yeah, you have to come God's way. If you don't come God's way, I don't care what you what you claim. And he said, Brother Ivan, how do you know? A tree is known by its fruit. But you should mourn for your sins. Have you mourned for your sins? Because if you haven't mourned for your sins, you don't feel sorry for what you've done against God. Qualified, don't tell me. I'm not talking about feeling sorry, but, you know, because you got caught. Not feeling sorry because you hurt a loved one. Not feeling sorry because, you know, I uh, got myself in a jam and the only way to get out of here is to feel sorry for, you know, for yourself now because you done jammed yourself. No, no, I'm not talking about that. All those things have their place. What I'm talking about now is, do you understand that you're a rebel with your fist up in God's face and you need to mourn over that? Do you feel sorry for that? That you brought grief and pain to the heart of God by our rebellion and disobedience 
My pastor's preached an excellent sermon this week on disobedience. It's awesome. Do, 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 we, do we understand that? No, saints. You need to mourn for your sins. Blessed are those who mourn. Because once you mourn for your sins, then the comfort, see that comfort? What's the Holy Spirit called? The comforter. The comforter will come to you and he will comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn, for you shall be comforted. You will receive the Holy Ghost. You'll receive salvation. Comforted by the Comforter. He comes and lives inside of you. The new birth will be granted to you. And that's not a work, because it's, by, the, by, my, by my saying it's not a work, it's the work of the Holy Spirit working full circle in you. He's the one that causes you to mourn. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't mourned for your sins yet, then the Holy Spirit hasn't done that work yet. And you need to go to God and see, begin to seek his face until he reigns. I think the Bible says, break up your fallow ground and sow to yourselves in righteousness until, he, until the Lord comes and, and reigns righteous upon you. So you break up your fallow ground and you sow the seed until God, and you, then you wait for God to reign righteousness on you. Again, I know the Holy Spirit is convicting some people listening to this podcast right now. And God's going to bring you to that place where you mourn for your sin. Where you recognize you're poor in spirit. You're spiritually bankrupt, but I need to mourn for my sins. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Wow, so let's get us back up. Spiritually bankrupt, mourning for my sins, and being meek. And meek is not weak. It takes great strength to be meek, especially when you know you have the power to kick this guy's behind. I could take this joker down right now. You know, one of the things that you learn in martial arts, and those of us, I'm pretty sure everybody's taking martial arts, at least most guys anyway. And when you get really good at it, you realize the people who are really good at it one of the, the, the things with martial arts is that you learn that you're so good, you don't have to get in a fight. You can back down. You can let the other guy be the man. Okay, you, 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 you're the man. You know, you, you talk, you tough guy, you know, whatever. And you learn to avoid the fight. I'm talking about, real, you know, Eastern-style martial arts. And Americans just, want, Americans just want to show off and my skill set and see some of you I can beat up. And unfortunately, that's, that's American thinking. But I'm talking about Shaolin monk, those types of things, whether it was tied somewhat to their religious uh, perspectives, uh, they avoid the fight. That's the you know, let's just not go there at all, because they know if they do fight, it's going to you know, it's not going to end well for for your opponent. Somebody's going to really get hurt, right? And so you want to avoid the objective is not is self defense and it's not to harm anybody, but you don't go out of your way to harm people. And so you can be you can be meek, you can back down. And it takes strength to back down and courage. Now, I'm not saying you have to back down on everything. There are times when you're in your job or whatever, you have to stand up for yourself. I get that. And God will let you know when it's time. And I think that's a form of meekness as well, is that when you pick your shots properly, you stand up for yourself, say what you have to say, and you make your, you make your choice or your decision. To me, all that is, is meekness. But you do it without malice. There's no hating. You do it without losing control. 
you know, fists and chairs aren't flying. You, you're not going to cuss nobody out. I remember years ago, I was working at McDonald's. And, um, you know, you always got that slack of that guy, you know, who watches everybody else work and he's not doing much of anything. And so it was three of us supposed to do the closing, which means we had to clean all the traps. We had to do the grease, empty the garbage, uh, clean the grills, uh, sweep them off the floor, the whole nine, make sure everything in the kitchen was pristine and ready to go the next day. Because you can't be feeding people, you know, with, with bacteria-infested food. So we had to, you know, the kitchen had to be tight. So the other guy would work, you know, we'd be knocking stuff out. But there was that guy, he was always downstairs in the office doing something, you know. He, you know, he's, I'm eating some nuggets right now, I'll be there. So one day I had had enough. And I confronted him. And I told him in so many words. And that, you know, you need to come up here and work, like, just like the rest of us. You need to put that down, it's closing time. I said, here's what you do, you get all your little snacks or whatever, you put them in your bag or whatever you want to do, put them, set it somewhere safe. There were no, you know, we're rodents and stuff, we won't get to it. And you, you, you know, you put that away. And then what we need you to do is to come up here and start helping us do, do the closing. I said, you can grab them. I said, you know, do whatever you want to do. You can do the grills, you can do whatever. I said, but you're going, here's what's going to happen. You will do something, but you're not going to sit down here and do nothing while, you know, the other brother and I have been doing all the work. You will join us. And I demanded that he come upstairs immediately, right then and there. And, you know, come on and join us. The next day, the manager asked me, you know, she said, you know, I heard about what happened yesterday. Now, he did, he did exactly what I said. And she said, but they said you didn't, you didn't use a single curse word. You never cursed him out. And you never threatened him physically with any type of violence. You just told him what he needed to do and what you guys wanted him to do. But there was no threats of violence, and you and and you you didn't curse him out. That's what I mean by meekness. <clears throat> you can state your case. You don't have to threaten people. You don't have to. Uh, um, if you don't do this, we're gonna do that. You don't have to call people outside and just go out back and deal. You don't have to uh, cuss people out and use profanity. And if you're using profanity, you just do me a favor and expand your vocabulary and, and learn some other words. Read a dictionary or something and expand your vocabulary. And you find you can use a lot of other words and you don't have to cuss. And that's meekness. Meekness being able to state your case without threat of violence or anything. Just simply saying, this is, this is wrong, this is how I feel about X, Y, Z. See, people think meekness means that people just ride, you just lay down on the floor, you're, you're a doormat, people just ride the car over you and every. That's not what he's talking about. Moses was the meekest man on the earth, but sometimes, you see what happened when he allowed his anger to get a hold of him, and <clears throat> God told him to speak to the rock, and he says, hear ye rebels, you know. <laughs> right there he messed up, hear ye rebels, you know. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, right? You would think... <laughs> You, you you would think that he, you know, but he was a meek man, but every once in a while, you know, even the meek of, meekest of us, people get to you. But here Jesus said, blessed are the meek, because the meek are the ones who inherit the earth. The people who should be in power, the people who should be in control of the earth, should be meek. 
Not arrogant and egotistical. And that's a problem. We have people like a Putin who's arrogant and egotistical. It's all about him. He doesn't care any how many people he kills and bombs and blows up, how many civilians he, he, he terrorizes with missiles, etc. Because in the end of the day, it's all about him and his glory. So that he can claim, I restored the Soviet Empire. Whoop-de-doo. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care. But this is what happens when people who are not meek are in power. But one day, one day, the people God's, when God gets the earth straightened out, the people God's going to put in power in places of leadership are the meek. Those who understand power, how to use it properly to benefit everybody, not just themselves. And they don't have to put, threaten nobody. And they ain't got to come down with anyone in terms of cussing people out or calling them out. So I listen, you and me out, out back right now. We, we, it doesn't have to get to that. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not to be a sheep. Meek is not to be weak. To be meek is to be a strong leader who does what's in the best interest of everyone. And who's willing to listen to everyone. And who's willing to do what is right by the group and not themselves. Blessed are those meek because they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek because those are people who know how to walk away. Because the situation does not call for violence. Even though you may feel that I can take him, I can take her. But it doesn't call for violence. And so you walk away. You stand down. But they also know when to stand up. Like a friend of mine used to say all the time, I mean, Jesus knew when to talk and he knew when to walk. Sometimes Jesus would talk, sometimes he would walk. Other times he did make a whip and he cleansed the temple. It's knowing when to do what. That's what meekness is about. Blessed are the meek. <clears throat> For they will inherit the earth. I just want to dispel that myth that meek means that you got to be weak and some doormat and people just, just do whatever, push you down the stairs. Look, he's meek. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> no, that's insane. You don't have to let people push you around. Uh, that's not meekness. Somebody come to push you, stop. We're not doing this. Please don't put your hands on me. That type of thing. The Bible says those people who inherit the earth. And those are the people who inherit the earth because they're going to be in leadership positions. Because they know how to wield power. And they know how and when. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Okay, this one, next one here, I started in the last segment, I <clears throat> just wanted to lead you right into this one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We all know what hunger is. Went out to eat yesterday and man was I hungry. I was so glad when they brought that food. <laughs> 
Yeah. Hungry was what I was. And so we know what we are. It's those of us who are foodies. You know, you cook and you like to savor the meal and, you know, the aroma and the food, etc. You know, I attempt to cook for my family. Um, you know, and while I'm cooking, you know, I'm nibbling and, you know, because the food smells so good and etc. So we all know what it means to be hungry. We definitely know what it is to be thirsty. You know, when I was on a wrestling team in high school and after a good workout, you know, I'd go and on the way, there was a store across the street, I used to get, go in there and buy me a gallon, of, half a gallon of milk. And I put that whole thing down walking on my way walking home. It was a couple miles walking, more, well over five miles on walk on home. So I walked a lot faster then. And I was young, I didn't care. You know, you're 16, 15. What do you care, right? And you're just hanging you know, palling around with your friends and, you know, laughing and having a good time. <clears throat> but it was something to put down a half a gallon of milk. Easy. On the way home. Because I was thirsty and I go home and I'm still hungry. I may eat some more and drink some more. You know, in those days it was Kool-Aid. You know, you go in there and grab your Kool-Aid and, you know, a soda or whatever and get your food and, you know, if mom hadn't got home and cooked yet, this time we're old enough to cook for ourselves, so... You know, gave our mother a break, and I'd just come in, and there's the hamburger patties right here, man. Throw them, on, throw them on the stove and cook them up, you know. So, yeah, I used to, I used to make all kinds of stuff, triple stackers, that kind of, you know. Yeah, because I was just burning. I was burning carbs, you know, at that age, you know. Um, I mean, I did a lot of exercising and working out, etc. So, yeah. We all understand what it means to you know, that type of natural hunger. Now, what if I had... I, here's what I wish for, for myself. That I, I wish, for not just for myself, but for you, that we all had that same type of... The appetite I just described to you, appetite I just talked about when I was 15, 16. You know, and, I, and my brother, you know, between two of us, it's, it's amazing, it was a miracle my mother could keep food in the house. Because we ate like you wouldn't believe. You know, uh, cookies and, you know, whatever else. And um, I remember, and there was no leftover, no leftover fried chicken. <laughs> there was no leftover chicken. You know, whatever, nobody else didn't want to go around the house, they all want this? No, no, no. And then once, they, once everybody said no, the rest of that chicken was mine. And, and if, if it was my night to do the dishes, forget it. I'm going to put all that chicken out to the side, do the dishes, and when everything's done, give me another bowl, and just chow down the rest of that chicken and them fries or, or rice or whatever my mother made. Yeah, I was a human disposal, garbage disposal. I, I got rid of everything. There, there, was, there would be no leftovers. Um, yeah, that type of thing. So my father didn't say, yeah, yeah, leave some here out for me or whatever. No, I would do it. But if they nobody wanted it and said, I'm out now, I won't be that tomorrow. That, and it, was, it was mine. It was all mine. <laughs> Between me and my brother, but basically it was me. I was, I was, I was an eating machine. And, stated, and yes, I stayed at 126. At that age, you can eat anything and you don't put on weight. Now, you know, eat so much as a cookie, you know, and here comes the stomach grows a couple of inches. 
But what if I had that same appetite for righteousness? What if I had that same appetite, that same thirst for righteousness? Why did I, why, what if I, would I hunger and pursue righteousness like that? What kind of person would I be? Man, are you kidding me? I didn't probably would never enter my mind, but like, no, I don't want that. Because certain things I, was, I would never eat, you know. That was the other thing. I was kind of somewhat of a finicky eater. So, certain, so truth be told, there were certain things I just was not going to eat. It, 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 it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, we're, we're not, I'm not going to be eating any of that. But <clears throat> be that as it may, what if I had that hunger and thirst? And that's what I said, Lord, that same hunger and thirst I had at that age for food. And I still have it to some degree, but I'm a little bit wiser now, so I can't eat any and everything all the time. So I've learned, I've learned through some discipline, and it's not easy, but I've learned through some discipline, you know, to pace myself and how I eat, etc. You know, because your health depends on it. But what if I had that same drive for righteousness? Do you have that exact same drive? If you're a foodie, do you have that exact same drive for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for it? Because the Bible says you will be filled. If you want to live a godly life, and here's what I'm getting at. If you want to live a godly life, it's not impossible. If you hunger and thirst for it and you long for it and you want to be that man or that woman that lives a godly life, and that's your choice, that's your decision in life, that's your, that's your pursuit, that's your hunger, that's your thirst. You know, when I get hungry, I'm in the fridge. I'm in the cabinets, pulling down cans, opening stuff up. I start cooking. Well, if you're hungry and thirsty for the things of God, you'll go to the place where you can find, where can I find righteousness? You find it in Christ. So to be thirsty and hungry for righteousness, since you can't inherently work it up in yourself, you got to go somewhere else to get that fulfilled. And it's only fulfilled in Christ. So then who do we have to go to? We got to go to Christ. It's called the pursuit of God. You have to pursue God. That's how we get there. That's right, saints. Hunger after righteousness. Very important for us as believers. So my question to you is, do you hunger for righteousness? Do you thirst for righteousness? Because it's only found in Christ. The Apostle Paul says, <clears throat> I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Wow. So we have to look for Christ. There's a good book I read years ago called The, uh, the Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And he made the argument that one of the things that's missing from the Christian life is our hunger and the thirst for God, to pursue God. Now, we know God pursued us. Before a man can think a right thought about God, God has to think about us. We love him because he first loved us. But notice what it says. He loved us first. 
and then we loved him back. So if God pursued us, then we need to pursue him. Now, yes, God made the first move. He took the initial step, set the ball in motion. But now we're here. We're saved. What am I supposed to do? You pursue him. You go. You follow hard after God. And that should be the the desire of the of the of every believer. And yet today people get saved and there's no desire to pursue God. There's no drive. Again, counterfeit conversion, people, I'm telling you. Counterfeit conversion. Because where there's an act of of God's grace in the human heart, where God has actually worked, <clears throat> there should be a tiny spark, however tiny it is, there should be some sense of spark to want to pursue God, to know Him, to know this God who saved me. And you desire the sincere milk of the word and you begin to feed off of it. I know when I got saved, one of the things, I got my first Bible. And once I got my Bible, my first, I got one of those Psalms, Proverbs, they were passing them out, passing them out at the uh, junior high school. And I got me a copy of one. And man, what did that do for me? I went home and I read the, I read that, it was, uh, it was Matthew. I read through Matthew, and, and, and I couldn't stop. And then Mark, and then Luke, and John. I devoured the life of Jesus. And my entire summer vacation was spent devouring the Gospels. Because I wanted to do everything Jesus said. And yes, of course I failed at it. <laughs> you know, at the, at the time I was a 13-year-old kid, you know. But be that as it may, I devoured it. There was a hunger and a thirst. And then my brother <clears throat> brought home a Christian book. The late great planet Earth. He read, I reread that. And I was like, where did you get this? And they had a Christian bookstore there. And boy, that was it for me. I've been reading Christian literature ever since. Hungering and thirsting for the things of God. But people get saved and there's no desire to pursue God. There's no, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul... Longeth after thee. That's what the psalmist wrote. As the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul longeth after thee. Do you have a longing in your soul for Christ? Because this, he is our righteousness. So if you're hungry and thirst for righteousness, you're hungering and thirsting for Christ. And so does your, do, do, do you have that, that longing? Does your soul long after God? Because before you were unsaved, you didn't seek him. But now that we're saved, we seek him. We would see Jesus. We would see Christ. And we pursue to know him. The Apostle Paul says, listen, this one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind and looking to what's forward, what's in front of me. He says, I press toward the prize of the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. It's a high calling. Are you in the press? Are you pressing towards the no Christ? This is not for your salvation. This is because you are saved. Let me get that straight. This is not for your salvation, but because I am saved, I hunger and thirst after righteousness, and I press towards Christ. I want to know him more, that I may know him. Now, three ways he talks about knowing him. In the power of his resurrection. That's a lot of power. In the power of his resurrection, meaning being raised to newness of life. The power of his resurrection. In the fellowship of his suffering. That Jesus and I, the sufferings that he went through, that I would fellowship with him in those sufferings. We're fellowshipping together. 
That means I'm yoked together. So what he suffers, we go through the suffering together. Yeah, that's right. Power of his resurrection. Oh, everybody loves that. What about the fellowship of his sufferings? And then the third point, being made conformable to death, to his death, even the death of the cross. Now, Christ's death, <clears throat> if, from a human standpoint, it was a wrongful death. We know from a divine standpoint it had to happen because that's how he had to redeem the world. But in part of that redemption process, it had to be a wrongful death. He was, he was railroaded. They were laying the tracks down before he got there. You can just see the tracks being laid down. Yet yeah, he's just railroaded, sitting right in here. He, he, if anybody was railroaded, Jesus was railroaded. He could he could make that claim for sure. And he died as a criminal. Here's a righteous man dying as if though he were a criminal, because only criminals got hung up on the cross. And yet Christ, and, and it, it was a shameful death. It was a shameful death. The death of the cross. Wow. So do, do, do you get that, saints? <clears throat> do, do, do we get it? So to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness is to pursue Christ. And to pursue Christ is to know him in the power of his resurrection. That's what you want. The fellowship of his sufferings. And your, your life being made conformable to his death, even the death of the cross. That means that you're willing to die, even or pay a, a wrongful death, if necessary. If that's what it takes to know Christ, so be it. So be it. If that's what it takes to know him. Wow. Okay. Still want to follow Jesus? Still want to be a Christian? Well, if you're saved, none of this should bother you because you're saved. And this is saved people, you know... Moving obedience to Christ. That's what God calls us to. Hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, for they shall be satisfied. We will be satisfied. Jesus said, He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So we will be satisfied with Christ. Christ will come to us. He said, I'll come and the Father will come and we'll sup with him and he with me. And he'll take up his dwelling place. He'll live on the inside of us via the Holy Spirit. And that's what you want. And then you live such an exemplar, exemplary life that it reflects Christ and it reflects his goodness and his grace and his power. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you? If you're listening to this podcast, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness the way you would over a plate of food? Actually, it should be more than just a plate of food. Esau sold his birthright for, to fill his natural appetite. Not good, Esau. Bad idea. The I think it was in one of the, the psalmists said, I desire God's word more than my necessary food. I'd rather have Christ than to eat. Man should not live by, by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Christ should be our all in all. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, that's self-exclamatory. Don't take much to exegete that, right? You want mercy, you show mercy. And Christians are people who show mercy. You know, it's not that gotcha moment. Gotcha. Make him suffer. 
No, that's not the that's not the way of the believer. We, we we attempt when we can, when we can, we show mercy. When we can. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God has been merciful to us. We want to be merciful to other people. Don't be so quick when you get when you catch somebody to drop the hammer on them. Sometimes you gotta temper it <clears throat> with a, with some mercy. Temper it with some mercy. I'm not saying that sometimes you, <clears throat> you might have to deal with people, you know, in a certain way, depending on what they're doing. You don't want to encourage them to keep doing those things that are harmful. But at the same time, you have to find a way to have mercy. So that it doesn't have to be severe. But she, Christians are people of mercy. We show mercy to people. Caught the brother in a sin. Gotcha. I'm going to tell the pastor right now. In fact, we're going to bring him in front of the whole church. Everybody going to know. Tell the whole world. Let's put, let's, put this, let's put this on YouTube. Look, look, look. Mm -mm. Show some grace and some mercy. All right, brother, sister. You know, we caught you doing whatever. And you might want to. The Bible says, you who are spiritual. Now, if you're not spiritual, leave it alone. Just go off and pray for them. You don't have to run and tell everything you see. That's my point. Some things have to be said. I, I get that. Some things have to be said. But most things don't. Some, sometimes my, my mother taught me to see, but don't see. Hear, but don't hear. I saw it, but I didn't see it. I heard it, but I, you know, didn't hear it. All right, whatever. You know, that type of thing. Show mercy to people. And I've done it in certain situations. And I'll say, listen, um... I see what you did, and you need to go confess and get it straight. I'm not going to say anything, but I might give them, I'm going to give them some room. I said, you know, by the end of this week, you need to share this with, you need to go and confess X, Y, Z. And if you don't do it by the end of said week, then I'll have to do it myself. But I'm giving you a chance to come clean with whoever you need to come clean with or whatever it's about, depending on what it is. That's what I mean by showing those are ways that you can show mercy. And give the person a chance to, you know, all right, start to clean your own mess. See if you can clean somebody's mess up here yourself. And give them that opportunity. Or, you know, I could put you in the street, but I'm not going to do that. But we're going to have to have some new rules here. And I'm going to give you another chance, but here's the new rules. Dot, 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 dot. You know, please don't violate these. And so you try to have, I'm just trying to give you some different scenarios in which you can have mercy on someone. You know, um, elected officials make mistakes all the time. I'm not talking about people who just outright lie, like this one guy just lied to get into the house. Yeah, he, you know, and he's unrepentant. So, you know, at that point, uh, he, you know, he needs to be dealt with, you know, harshly in, in that instance. Because he's a detriment to the country. You don't need people with no with zero character in, in the Congress. That's not good. But do Congress people mess up and make mistakes? I'm just talking about normal congressmen, not not the ones like this guy who just he I don't know where he's what he's thinking. But yes, they do make those mistakes. But here's what we don't do. We try to have a little bit of mercy. He said, Okay, you know, let's let's give him another chance here. Let's see if he how he you know, and I watch to see how people respond, if they're gonna clean their act up or not. And that, that can also be a determining factor as well.
Next, we have, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow. Okay. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That word pure <clears throat> in heart means hearts that are without wax. Elmer Murdoch brought that out. Now, when you are a carpenter, sometimes there may be a flaw in the wood, like a little hole or something. And what the carpenters at that time would do, they would take wax and they would fill in those gaps with wax. So you weren't getting a pure product. And then, you know, they paint it over whatever, make it look good. So you don't, and it gets so good, you couldn't tell between what was wax and what was wood. And then, of course, they'd sell it um, and fill in some of the cracks or whatever. Or a groove or a little hole that may have been in the, in the, in the, in the lumber. And Jesus said, being a, having been a carpenter himself, he understood that. He said, blessed are those whose hearts are without wax, that is, without, without mixture. Because they shall see God. Now this is where it gets a little tough. As he goes a little further into the Beatitudes, this will be the last segment for today. And we will do, I may do a little review on this one next week as well. And um, then we'll finish the other rest of the Beatitudes. But it gets, it gets rough. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going to hit some turbulence here. Listen, saints. To be pure in heart. To be pure in heart. Means purity of motivation. Why are you following Jesus? Why, are you, why do you want to be blessed? See, so many people follow Jesus because of what he can do for them. The sixth chapter of John, the crowd was following him because of the miracles, and then later on they followed him because of the food. But when Jesus laid out his conditions for being his disciple, they, they all left him. So the food didn't matter, and the healing didn't matter anymore, because they couldn't meet his conditions. Because you know why? Because their hearts weren't pure. Their hearts are with wax. It wasn't without wax. They didn't have purity of heart. They were following Christ for all the wrong reasons. I am quite certain of the fact, if I was a gambling man, the majority of people who are following Christ today are following him for the fish and the loaves, for what he can do. Because they want Christ to bless them. That's why they're following him. Their hearts are not pure. It's only based on what he can do for you. And by that I mean things that we want. Today we talked about meeting people's needs. There's, there's a thing called felt needs. There's, there's a thing that we really need which is Christ and salvation. Then there's the felt needs, things that we think that we need. Health, wealth, etc. Now, who doesn't want health and wealth? I do. I don't want to be poor. Um, and I certainly don't want to be unhealthy. Because no matter how much money you have, if, you, if, you, if you're unhealthy, your quality of life is just not going to be that great. So I'm not opposed to those things. Hear what I'm saying? When it comes to following Christ, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us purify our hearts and our motives. 
Well, how in the world can I follow somebody like that? You have to be in love with them. And so the Bible says in Romans, the fifth chapter, for the love of God is shed in our, abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the love of God. So allow the Holy Spirit and seek the face of God <clears throat> that he will give you a deep abiding love for Christ. That you will serve him and pursue him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. In Christ alone. You know, people say, you know, we're going to take over the world and then make, tell Christ he can come back. No, why don't you conquer what's in your heart? And you want to crown Christ Lord of King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Crown him King of Kings and Lord of Lords in your heart. How about, let's, let's start there. There's a starter kit for you. Let's, let's get that out of the way. Instead of trying to make him Lord of everybody else, why don't, you, why don't you let him be Lord of you? I have to let him be Lord of me. Pure in heart. Why are you following Jesus? What's your motivation? I, I can tell you no lie, man. Listen, when I got saved, you know, I, hell was the issue. I, I, you know, when I, you know, I don't want to be in no burning hell. So, you know, uh, gave my heart to Jesus. But then I read the book of Revelations. And it talks about the people worshiping God day and night. And they never leave the Lamb's side. And they're always there worshiping him. <clears throat> now, you got to understand, the only worship service I've ever seen, I've never seen a worship service in heaven, other than the glimpse we get in Revelation. But at the time, I wasn't astute enough to notice that. But what I did notice, I said, so, if the worship in heaven is anything like on earth, because sometimes, I'm going to tell you no lie, and, 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 this, and I've been in many churches, uh, you know, and some of them, not all, but some of the churches that I've been in, uh, the worship in heaven and anything like that, I'm like, what a nightmare. Some of these worship services are boring. They're not dead. They're just boring. I just get bored. Uh, particularly in modern times because all the songs have to be about me and there's nothing that exalts Christ. It's just singing about how wonderful I am and all the wonderful things God is going to do for me. Bless, bless. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when I come and go. That's about me. They ain't about Jesus. But what I'm going to get out of the deal, I'm going to get me some blessings. Go get, go get your blessings. It's your time. See, that's man-centered nonsense. So people aren't taught to pursue God out of a pure heart, pure motives. That I love God and I serve him. Let me show you what pure love looks like. Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And though the skin worm devours this body, yet in my flesh I will see God when he stands upon the earth. Shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not evil also? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or how about this one? Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Job was an example of a man who lost everything, but he kept his faith and his love and his confidence in God, serving God out of purity of heart. That's what I'm talking about. And he was perfect. We found that out later on. When he put his holiness against God, it was nothing. 
But evidently there was something there, though. He had something. The wife looked at him and said, look at you. You lost everything. You, you lost your health and you lost your children. And your friends are over here saying you have some secret sin. So to add insult to injury, the wife comes out and says, do you still maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job looked at her and said, man, you sound like one of the foolish women. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Instead of cursing, he blessed God. How about that? Isn't it amazing? Bless me, bless me, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. God has a blessing for you. You can have it. Reach up and grab it. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see the difference here? One is me. The other one is about blessing God. Purity of heart is what God is after. The single eye, the single eye, saints, that's what we are to have before God, is a single eye. And that's what God wants us to, to, to be able to do. So why are you serving God? Why are you serving God? I'm going to keep asking that question. Why were you in church this week? To do what? Were you there to receive something from God? Or were you there to give worship and glory to God? So you got to get to the point where you worship God, whether or not God comes down and visits you or not. Whether the service is white hot and you shout out of your shoes, whether you feel something or not, I will worship God because he deserves it. He is worthy. And if he doesn't do anything for me, if nothing happens extraordinary in this service, I will worship him. Purity of heart. Purity of heart. That's how God wants us to be. To worship him. Let me ask you again. I know, it's only redundant. Why are you worshiping God? Now, how do you have purity? A purity of heart has to do with... Purity of heart has to do with what we treasure. What's most valuable to, to ourselves. Listen, listen, listen to this here. In the, in, in the, I believe it's about the 7th chapter, 22nd verse. I believe it is. It's actually the sixth chapter, the 22nd verse. Jesus makes a peculiar statement here. Right after talking about where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He makes, it, he makes a peculiar statement here. And I just want to have it read to you. It's about the 2622 of Matthew. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The single eye, saints, the single eye. Right after that, he says, no man can serve two masters. You love one and you hate the other. Do you get that, saints? Do you get that single eye? That means one focus. You don't want to, have to be double-minded or have double vision. You can't do the things your way and then do things God's way. Those are two horses going in two different directions. You got one horse galloping to the left, the other horse galloping to the right. You got a foot on each one of them. Sooner or later, a decision has to be made. Or you're going to get torn in half. You got to ride one or the other. Which one now? Decide. The light of the body is the eye. And if you have that single eye, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is dim, there's darkness. That means you can't see. You're blind. We want to have that single eye where we focus our heart and our lives in terms of purity. I'm talking about purity, the pure heart now. Motivation. Purity of heart. A heart without wax. There's no competition. There should be no competition in your in your heart as to who is Lord. I shouldn't have to compete with some with 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 his will and your will. Both of you can't be Lord of your life. So whose will is going to prevail? Yours or Jesus's? Who are we going to listen to? The world or Christ? Because if you want to see God, there must be purity of heart, singleness of thought. Total submission to the Lordship of Christ. Now, hear what I said. He's already Lord. Whether you submit to him or not. But voluntary submission to his Lordship and to his will and to his way. You will see God. Oh, now I'm not, please don't come back and tell me, I did it and I didn't see him. I'm not talking about physically seeing him. At least not in this point in time. Although God can do whatever he wants. But believe me, if you saw him, it'd blow your mind. And, uh, yeah, you, you would understand some things that you never understood before. You know, this is why when I hear people talking about, I saw God, God appeared, Christ appeared in the church service, we took a picture of him, and, 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 um, he appeared on stage with me, and he's in, he, you know, while I'm shaving, he shows up in my, in my, one pastor said he, he shows up in the bathroom with him every morning, he's shaving, and. And, you know, Jesus is in the room and he's crying and I have to comfort him. And uh, Listen, listen, people, listen. You see God, it's going to be life-changing and it's going to be a depth and a level of purity that God's going to infuse into your life that you can't get any other way. So, but if people really saw God the way they claim, they would be falling down on their face. Some of them would be dead and going, unless God resurrected them and kept them from dying, like he had to do John touch him and tell him stand up and all that kind of stuff. 
uh, unless God acts and you see him, you, you'd be going on in a body bag. You, you couldn't handle it. So when I talk about the pure in heart, they shall see God. I'm not talking about that type of a revelation. Christ will not be appearing in your bedroom. You're not going to have visions and revelations per se. And if you do, it'll be it'll be just like the one I just described. It's going to be one of those things uh, where you fall on your feet as though dead. But average speaking, no, that's not going to happen. To see God means to understand him, to be, perceive him, to understand his will with clarity and begin to act on knowing what God wants you to do. You'll have, it'll enhance your worship time. You'll see God in your worship. So close, with such clarity of understanding. It has to do with understanding. With such clarity of understanding that you, it'll, it'll be life-changing. That's what I'm talking about here. When we talk about blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we're going to elaborate some more on this as well. Uh, next podcast. But that's what we're referring to. That purity of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, let me ask you, what are your motivations? Why are you following Jesus? Is it for the fish and the loaves? Are you coming to church just so you can get a blessing, a liver shiver, so God can do something for you, so that your ship will come in? This is your time, this is your season. Are you wanting God to make a shift in your life? Or are you serving Christ because Christ deserves to be served? And I'm here, and if he blesses me, fine. If he doesn't, it's all good. But I'm here first and foremost is to glorify God. And to bring honor and praise and glory to his name. Anything else is a mercy drop. Anything else is just icing on the cake. Did God bless me? Oh yeah, he did, but that wasn't the point. I bless God, and that's what I came here to do. It was to worship him, to glorify his name. I don't know what you come to do, but I came to praise the Lord. I came to worship him and to bow before him. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of The Sword and Spirit very deeply appreciated for all those who listen and all those who give financial support as well thank you very much keep me in prayer coming soon that website god bless you and thank you all so much my prayer is that listening to these podcasts has enriched your life and made your quality of spiritual life better in your relationship with jesus christ Our desire here is to do everything we possibly can to point you to Christ, not to me. Look to Jesus and live. Let Christ be exalted and glorified in your life. May Jesus Christ decrease and may Donald Reimer decrease. And let Christ increase in your life. Let Christ become the centerpiece of everything in your life. On Christ a solid rock, you need to stand all other ground. Let it become sinking sand. Because only in Christ alone do you find salvation. There is no, no, no name given under heaven whereby we must be saved, except for the name of Christ. Don't follow man. 
definitely don't follow me. Follow Christ. Open your Bibles. Pick it up. Read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts and all the others that follow on. And swing back around through the Old Testament. But read the Bible. And let the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And to guide you into all the truth, the truths that are in there. Once we get the website set up, I'll be putting up some links to some other podcasters that are better than me. Corey Miner, for one, on the Smart Christian Channel. You've got Don Hill, the Love Six Scribe. You got Julie Roy's, the Roy's Report, and many others that are excellent. Uh, Longing for Truth. Daniel Long, good podcasters, podcasters that will help you to grow and to mature. You want to listen to good expository preaching, you want to know what it actually looks like, then you've got men like John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul, or Michael Horton and the White Horse Inn. But anyway, the links for all those will be on there as well, so that you can go find yourself some good material as well. And my prayer is that this also have been a blessing to you as well. God bless you all. Love everybody. If you're not saved, ask God to save you in Christ alone. And if you're already saved, then be strengthened and encouraged through these podcasts. But they'll help you. And yes, I have some more interviews coming up. It's just going to take a little bit more time. Got to get my reading glasses so I can do some more reading. And we're going to interview some more authors and their books. So just keep me in prayer that God help me to land these interviews. And that those interviews will therefore be a blessing. We're trying to bring quality, quality stuff. Oh yeah, Seiko Woods. That's another one you want to podcast you want to uh, listen to as well. So God bless you and be strengthened in the Lord. God bless.